Welcome to another episode of Alec Mappa Hot Mess with Matthew Dempsey, psychotherapist. I'm Alec Mappa. I'm an actor and comedian, and I live in Hollywood. And I'm Matthew Dempsey. I'm the psychotherapist. You certainly are. <laughs> this is the show about mental health, where we talk about mental health so our listeners don't have to. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> do you ever burn out on, on the whole mental health thing? I mean, you do this for a living. You have to listen to people. Are you I, ever sitting there in your chair going, Jesus? I mean, listen, now. yeah, I get like I would say like any job, no matter what, you know, anytime mm-hmm. that you're doing anything a lot, it, you know, mm-hmm. you have your moments. But for me, I love mental health. Like I love therapy. Like I mm-hmm. for sure have a deep, you know, kind of love affair with therapy because for yeah. me, it always kind of feels like a puzzle. Like right. I'm just trying to help people kind of understand maybe what experiences in their lives and things that happen that would maybe kind of shape some of the stuff that makes it hard for them to get to where they want to be. So for me, that's kind of my engagement with it. Like I just have a passion for it so I can keep going. Do you ever yawn in a session? If okay. You need to yawn? So, well, I will say my that therapist I'm, yawns and I'm like, yes. really? Bitch. But you know, I but I do the one where it's like I try to hide it, but they always see it, and then they'll call you out. Oh yeah, because your nostrils yeah. flare when you when you you. It's hard to disguise you know it because like, you're like going. <laughs> but it's a fun, okay, fun little kind of like behind the scenes fact. If your therapist is yawning, it could just be that they're tired. But mm-hmm. a lot of times, it means that there's a little bit of like detachment that's happening, right? Hmm. Like if you, if you yawn, it means I'm trying to kind of break away from what's going on because there's there's maybe a lot that's happening. I don't buy it. And if you're a good enough therapist, you use that as a barometer for, I need to really pay attention because something just happened. No, I mean that honestly. So, yes, I so do when, I, when I detach from something, like if I'm having an objective moment where I, I'm looking at something and I, I detach, I'm going to yawn. No, no, no. It just could be that if you're yawning, it could potentially be a physical thing. You just might be tired, but there's also a potential that there's an emotional detachment that might be in me. I once told my therapist, um, I don't think we're getting anywhere and I don't think we're making any progress the yeah. first couple of years. And he said, we're actually going uh, a lot of places that are really terrific and you're yeah. actually making a lot of progress. And usually when somebody's making a lot of progress, that's what they say. And I was like, oh, really? See that? Detaching. Did you yawn? No, I didn't yawn. I didn't yawn. I didn't <laughs> it was yawn. just more kind of typical detachment. I, I see my away. therapist once a week. I don't always have a crisis, but it's good. Yeah. You know, like during the course of the conversation, stuff does come up that I need to of look course. at. Of course. It's good yeah. actually when there aren't, when there are moments when it's not crisis stuff, because then mm-hmm. you can actually get to the kind of like deeper meteor things of what's going on. So you're not exactly. just constantly putting out fires. You're figuring yeah. out where they start and getting it there. Yeah. A lot of it's really mundane, you know, yeah. but even, <laughs> even in the mundanity, there's, there's, yeah. there's stuff to uncover. That's where the interesting stuff happens in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, my main, uh, I think the main thing that uh, my therapist, my therapy can be, my progress in therapy can be boiled down to one thing. Um, don't take things personally. Yeah. That's 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 kind of been uh, the, the thing that I've learned. And I, I thought, you know, I really dismissed it before. Like, uh, God, you know, whatever. Yeah. I, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. I have feelings, but it's like, I really tend to look at the world through the lens of that hurt my feelings or that person meant something by that. And it's like the larger reality is nobody's thinking of you. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for sure. We, we have a tendency of personalizing things and that's where a lot of shit kind of gets stirred up, but it's also important to recognize that it's not just about our own internal narrative. That's the problem, but Mm -hmm. things and forces outside of ourselves that really help to shape a lot of the shit that might come up for us too. You know what I mean? So especially Mm -hmm. when we're talking, about multiculturalism and you know Mm -hmm. systems of oppression and systemic racism and that kind of stuff like that stuff really influences uh us too especially you know obviously people of color black people yes that it really is your therapist white yes i have a white therapist because i I present as a gay filipino man but i identify (laughs) as a rich white woman <laughs> have you? I'm just kind of curious. In your own therapy, have you actually talked about your experience being Asian and oh, how that yeah. impacts your? Oh, absolutely. How okay. my um, I I talk constantly about my family dynamic um, in ways that may seem exotic to him, but I picked my therapist mm. because I wanted a gay man who yeah. is also a dad, yeah. who is also um, because all of the stuff that I had to work through was gay stuff around men. Fully. Yeah. Of kind course. of like how I perceive myself in the gay world and, and somebody who could walk me through the stories in my head and kind of take apart objectively, exactly. yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. look at the, I mean, what the big thing is for me has been uh, taking an objective look, uh, objective. It, it's all been about a reality check. 
Yes. And actually checking yeah. in on those stories that you, that are in your head. Right. And also right. understanding the context for where those stories have come from mm-hmm. and how we can internalize a lot of bullshit messaging that happens mm-hmm. in the world around us. Yeah. So even if your therapist is white, at least he's, it sounds like that he's somebody who's culturally competent and has that be a, a, an incredible, significant part of the conversation. Well, he's never said like, you know, uh, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> No, but it's not even that. It's not even, it's not even like that kind of shit. It's, it's yeah. actually just being able to identify it, meaning talking about like having that conversation around yeah. how, you know, our cultural identities play a role in our mental health. Absolutely. But I, I don't, I, you know, cause today's subject is black therapy, by yes, the way, black the, mental health. The, the subject is black mental health. That's right. And um, my son is black and his therapist is a black man. Mm. And it's so important for him at this age, culturally to, I mean, I say this over and over again, I have an adopted son. I can give him everything, but the experience of what it's like to grow up in a black family. Exactly. Yeah. So I surround him with black mentors, black experiences, um, uh, play, spaces he can go where he, it's not exclusively, he's in a lot of spaces where he's uh it's more common for him to be in spaces where he's the only black person. Right. And that's stressful in ways like for us, yes. the only example is to be in spaces constantly where you're the only gay person. Exactly. You yeah. know, you're kind of like, who's cool, who's whatever, who. And what I've learned from his experience of being his father for the past 10 years. And also, you know, I was on a black sitcom. That's how I started out in L.A. Mm-hmm. And that was my first experience of exclusively being around black people all the time. Yeah. Like in a work environment. Yep. And what I learned from that was I can't even begin to know what it's like to be a black person in America. Like I can, I can hear the stories. I can hear about the microaggressions and the macroaggressions Mm -hmm. and the systemic racism, but my, that has not been my experience. So my son needs to speak with somebody who has had that experience that has that, who can validate his experience. I mean, there's something that's, I mean, like I said before, you don't necessarily have to be of the same experience in order to be able to help guide and give support, but there's just something that's so different when you're working with somebody who has walked a very similar walk through Uh that. Kind of identity like uh-huh. the, like there's you know I had an incredible incredible therapist when I was in um, undergrad and she was this kind of like slightly older um, straight woman mm-hmm. and um, she was incredible and she helped me so much and then mm-hmm. years later I worked for the first time with another gay man it was the first and? time I ever worked with a gay man and it was night and day the mm. fact that he was able to talk specifically to these kind of like really nuanced very culturally specific topics. You didn't, you didn't have to translate like, it's didn't like to, this. Yeah. It, when yeah, you so walk I didn't into a bar <laughs> and somebody clocks you. So let me explain what a bathhouse yeah. is. Yeah, yeah no, yeah. I didn't have to do that. Okay. So, but it was, um, but it was just, it wasn't even just the shorthand of it. It was the fact that he was able to call my attention to specific experiences as a gay man and how mm-hmm. that very directly relates to my own internal narrative, mm-hmm. how I feel about myself, how I'm able to actualize or not actualize my goals. Oh yeah. That yeah. kind of shit. Like it was really important for me. Yeah. You know? Like so, my yeah. my therapist is like not that much older than me. So we could discuss getting older in the gay community and what that means. And we could discuss the way it used to be, yeah. you know, in in our community and blah, blah, blah. But having that, you know, I'm so glad I picked him. I think it made a huge difference. I can't. And the cultural stuff for me, it's been like, you know, my family is nobody can explain their family. Anybody, (laughs) you know, you know, but I've had to explain like how my family is and how my uh, my uh, husband who's white, how his family is and how it's it's night and day and it's down. Yeah. For your, yeah. for your son, was it hard to actually find a black therapist that you felt comfortable with or felt um, would be a good fit? I think that if you make it your goal, you will find who you want to get. But was it and challenging though? Was it actually challenging to find a not black really. therapist? No, no, because I think we were very specific and it was, it was, uh, it was, um, like we didn't give ourselves the alternative. Right. It was like, this is what he needs and we're going to find the professional. And yeah. he has a wonderful therapist who yeah. is um very distracting because he's absolutely gorgeous <laughs> and i have like every time i see him i kind of giggle like a geisha behind a fan but um he's and then your he, son spends the entire yeah, session yeah, talking my son about is that. just rolling his eyes um <laughs> no but he it's so important for my son to have a, a, a black man totally. walk him through black man stuff yeah and, well, and, and, and 
Yeah. It's like, he's still, you know, my son's at the age where he's trying to figure out what type of person he's going to be. Yeah. And, and, and then on top of that turns out what time of, what type of black man am I going to be? Yeah. What type of man I'm going to be? So yeah, all of those things. And I think that that stuff is, like I said, I think that it's really important. I think it's really necessary. And I think the challenging thing is that there's actually, that there really is kind of a shortage of black professionals as therapists kind of in this field and, you know, and a big part of that. And I think it's important to recognize it's not just kind of about like, Oh, you know, stigma in the black community. And, you know, and that's kind of why there's not really a value set around Mm -hmm. therapy, but it's also just because of like the uh, systemic racism, how much just the systems of oppression that exist that actually inhibit, you know, black people from being able to get higher education and being able to have the funds, maybe even to access therapy and that kind of stuff too. And I think that that's actually a really important part of this conversation too. I can't think of a better segue in today's program because we're talking to an actual black person. Black men, because it would be ridiculous for the two of us to talk to about, black, talking men, about black, black mental right. health. So exactly. let's bring our fabulous guest, and I'm so excited to have her with us today. All right, guys. So today's guest is a comedian, an actress, and a correspondent on Comedy Central's The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. She was named by Rolling Stone as one of the 10 comedians you need to know and one of the top comedians to watch by Variety Magazine. She's also the host of her own podcast called That Black Ass Show. Please welcome my friend, the very funny Dulce Sloan. Yay! Dulce and I, we did a movie together right before COVID. We were in Puerto Rico together and we had the best time because um, I was playing the boyfriend of uh, a famous wrestler named Kevin Nash, who's about seven (sighs) feet tall. And we, we both like, it was like we were both meeting our idol like, yes, I like I was like already bananas about Kevin Nash, like a huge wrestling fan. And then Dulce, like you had a whole story about like how you watch the shows and you would write down the matches and everything. Yes. <laughs> I didn't know. Like it's because, you know, you just get your lines and your sides. And yeah, 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 yeah. And so a lot of times. Like when you're hired onto something, they don't tell you everybody that's a part of it. Right, right. So I found out like I think like maybe a couple days before they're like, Oh yeah, Kevin Nash and da 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 Kevin Nash? And they were like, Yes, and I went, And then found a couch and fainted. And his first day on set, he was in the makeup trailer and he's so tall. Yeah. He's seven feet tall. You're right. The chair was all the way down to the floor. But yeah. even him sitting down, he was as tall as Vero, our makeup artist. Yeah. So I get into the trailer and he's like, hi, I'm Kevin. And I was like, I know. And I like, just couldn't. <laughs> I literally covered my, I was like, I know. And he was like, what the <laughs> fuck is her problem? And we, like, had, we had I'm dinner like, with him every night. Saying. We had dinner with him every night. And he would drink an entire bottle of wine. And then we would be like drinking with him. And he's going, I'm going to have another one. And we go, okay. And you and I would be oh, staggering really? out because we were trying to drink as much as Kevin Nash. It was stupid. Cause like the first time we had dinner with him, it was me, you and Kevin. And we were at the Longhorn. There was a Longhorn <laughs> Steakhouse right next to the hotel. So I'm sitting there eating uh, popcorn shrimp with Kevin Nash. And I was like, what is my life? What is my I life? Know, and we and both just wanted to climb him. Each other's hand. Could not function. Could not function. Because at the table, we're dragging each other's hands like, we're sitting at a table. He'd get up and go to the bathroom. We're like, oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> and then I did not know that Dominique Jackson was in the movie until right. we were shooting that day. And then I look up and see Electra, And I started hiding behind you. Because she's uh-huh. like, hi. And I was like, Hello. And I couldn't. I, I know we were both such dorks. And then Fortune Feimster was on the movie too. So like the three of us would gather and just oh, kind of man. like that's a good crowd. Yeah, no, we hid behind each other a lot. We and and also the thing is like Kevin Nash. It was literally every time he got up to go to the bathroom, we were like, <laughs> like very much. I'm we were giving you like giddy schoolgirl. Like could Real not, nice. and he knew it. He knew it. And he was like, yeah, he was telling us about all, like the, all the surgeries he's had and his crazy neighbors in Florida. Yeah. Like he's telling us all this stuff. And we're like, uh-huh. 
We have to get to the subject at hand. Yeah, Otherwise, we'll, we'll talk about Kevin Nash all day. <laughs> we'll say, speaking of not being able to function, we're talking about kind of mental health and issues around mental health, but also specifically Black mental health. Black yes. mental health, go. There's a lot of stigma around mental health in, in general, but also particularly in the Black community. Like, why do you think that that is? A lot of it is uh, a stigma where it's, for as many thing, many things have been, the problem is a lot of times in a black community, things are equated with whiteness. Uh-huh. So it's speaking a particular way or even like when it came to like school, like sometimes even getting good grades was equated with whiteness. What I always thought was confusing because it's mm-hmm. just like, this is school. The hell does that right. have to do with white people? Mm-hmm. Um, but I told, but I grew up in the suburbs for the most part. So you know, interact with black people who didn't, it's why do you talk white? Why do you like these things? My son gets that a lot. Right. How do you know about Nirvana? And I'm like, you don't have friends. Um, (laughs) It was the 90s. Step up. Um, (laughs) So a lot of it has just been equated to whiteness. Otherness. Because. Hmm? Otherness. Like it, this isn't something, this isn't a part of my culture to see it. But specifically specifically whiteness. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Because we are not, because we're so, we're so caught up in the day-to-day of survival Mm -hmm. that you're not allowed to have that luxury to go to, to sit down with somebody and just ramble about your life. Also, that's what your mom, your aunts, your cousins, your, why are you paying somebody to hear your business? You don't know them. Why are you telling yeah. somebody your business? Because like there's a young comic, uh, Jack Knight, who had who has a great joke about it. I don't know if he still does. It, it was a couple years ago. But he talks about how he was just like he was just depressed and his mother was just not having it. Mm-hmm. Just not having it. Like he'd be he's like, I'm just sad. And she's just like, listen. And he, I think the punch I, I remember correctly, the punchline of the joke is like, I didn't have a C-section for you to come out of pussy. It's basically. <laughs> <laughs> with with me being Filipino, it was like my parents had survived World War II. That you know right. they they survived being bombed by the Japanese. Like my grandmother used to say, like you know uh, I can't talk about my problems. You know mm. when when the Japanese bombed our village and I had shrapnel in my arm and I had to remove it with my teeth without yeah. any anesthesia. I didn't yeah. have a therapist. So like when you said luxury, that would that triggered that for me. Yeah. They really look at it as in my culture, that's something for rich white people to do. Well, it's also, and it's also just privilege, like white privilege, you know, to be in a place where, um, you know, that you're not marginalized because of the color of your skin, right? That you're in a place then where it's kind of like, okay, let me talk about like deeper emotional issues, right? Because you don't have to operate at times in in kind of a place of survival of just needing to kind of get through. So like, Mm -hmm. it's the privilege of being able to, you know, kind of exercise that as like a form of like support, mental health support. Right. Because if I would talk to like my friend, like if you talk to white people at a lower socioeconomic status, they also don't get therapy. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Because they're also mm-hmm. in a survival mode. But right. with them, it's so that's again the luxury of having an hour a day to just sit down and yeah. go, hmm, I'm sad. Yep. You know? So right. if you're any group of people that is constantly like because even if you're a well to do black person, it's still there's still those same stigmas. They're still mm-hmm. the same. Oh, well, you're doing well because a lot of the things you're doing when you're when you are middle class, upper middle class, or rich black person, mm-hmm. you start to have access to things that your family members might not have. Yeah. So, yeah. and a lot of those things are equated to whiteness. Mm-hmm. And I also think, like, just among like just people of color, it's worse. We spend a lot of time disassociating our ourselves from whiteness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So anything that they're doing, it's like we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't do that. That's Plus, too white. That's too white. And also, yeah. another, it's just as you know, a black person who grew up with you know a lot of Latino friends and a lot mm-hmm. of Asian friends, they didn't do that either. Right. Yeah. Because it's again, why am I sit down and pay somebody to listen to my? I can call my mom, my aunt, my cousin, my homegirl. Right. It's, yeah. We look for support in our circle. Because I know this person has at least a shared experience right, right, with me. Right. Also, since if this is a friend or a family member, 
I know that they are emotionally invested in my well-being as mm, opposed to a stranger yeah. who mm-hmm. I talk to an hour a week and mm-hmm. then they check out. Right. And there's no follow-up calls. There's no, but, hey, but meanwhile, what happened? Yeah, meanwhile, somebody who is in survival mode, somebody who is in survival mode and dealing with those stresses every day, of having mm-hmm. to survive and having to disassociate and having to get through the day could use a mental health professional more than oh, anything. I'm not saying we don't yeah. need yeah. Right. I'm but just I've... saying why we don't go. Because right. I have, you know, just with everything that's been going, not just now, but uh-huh. other times in my life where it's been like, this is a lot because yeah. we all can feel overwhelmed. And I've had, yeah. you know, different friends and it's usually only white friends who have mm. been like, have you thought about going to therapy? And I'm like, no, I'm not going to pay a stranger X amount of dollars. So are you not with a therapist right now? I'm not. And I've thought about it. And because the thing is, my cousin's a therapist. Mm -hmm. So, but we're also not close. So, because she sent me, um, there was this website I used to look at all the time. She sent me and at first it was very helpful because it was this guy that was like, listen, I was this big, I was huge in the music industry. And then I just kind of hit rock bottom. And this is my way of, you know, me working through things and I want to help other people. And it was just this website I would go to that would send me emails every day. Yeah. And it was helpful until it got to the point where he started getting successful in it. Mm. So then it went from, Hey, here's, you know, here's how you deal with certain things or, Hey, things that happen to you aren't your fault or how you feel is fine. You don't yeah. have to apologize for your feeling. And like, I remember that one specifically because it was like, you don't have to apologize for how you feel because sometimes you can't explain how you feel mm-hmm. right? instead of beating yourself up for feeling how you feel, feel it and be done. Yeah. And that was around like 2010, 2011. And I still remember that. And then he started popping off and then Oprah got behind him. And it's now uh-huh. I'm like, motherfucker, I'm not paying you for a website that I've been coming to for three years for free. The fuck? <laughs> I thought you was doing this to help people. I understand yeah. trying to get some coins, but sir. The intentions are questionable. You're now, now the game done changed. Yeah. Because, yeah. and I just unsubscribed from the website. Cause I'm like, like now it was, I'm working through this and I'm going through this. And all of a sudden it's, Fucking yeah. mental health retreats and yeah. it, turned, it sounds like, like it okay. turns into it turned into Tony Robbins or something. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. It turns into Tony Robbins real business. quick. Yeah. Get your veneers and shit. Yeah. But for me, it's but it's always been, and then especially not only as a black person and not only as a black woman, but as a southern black woman. Yeah. You are everyone else's welfare becomes your before yours as a southern woman. Right? Mm-hmm. I think that's your culture is that every you everybody else comes first. My homeboy, we're around the same age. He said he didn't know till three years ago that his grandma ate food. Wow. Because he had never seen mm. his grandma eat. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Because when he's at the house, grandma is taking care of everybody. He said he had never seen his grandmother sit down oh, and wow. eat a plate of food until he was in his early until like he's in his early 30s. Was like three years ago. Was the first. He's like, I did not know my grandma ate food. I yeah. like, she obviously did. The woman's been alive for X amount of years. Yeah, she, she had to have eaten at some point. Some point, yeah. grandma yeah, sat down yeah. and had a plate of something. Totally. But he had never seen grandma sit down and eat a plate of food. Yeah. And so a lot of, and this is across the board as Southern women, mm-hmm. as Southern Black women, as Black women, it's everyone. I didn't learn about self care until 2016. Mm-hmm. Because you're led to believe that that's selfish, right? Yeah, yeah. that yeah. you're just conditioned. You're conditioned to believe that, yeah, that 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 that's being selfish. You shouldn't be doing that. That's What's a luxury. Yeah. So even then, considering right. like therapy is like definitely not. There's other the biggest that's very indulgent. other people to take care of. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's indulgent. Right, because like you can have a spa day. You yeah. know, you have your little spa day. You get your nails done. You know, you might get a massage, and yeah. then <laughs> you go back home and take care of everybody else. So. You know, I always, it's a lot of things that you are handed specifically yeah. as a black person. And then there's mm-hmm. other things that you're handed as a black woman. Yeah. And then being from where I'm from, mm-hmm. there's other things that are added on to that. So you're yeah. not allowed to have self-care. But and then as a it, black, it mm-hmm. sounds mm-hmm. to me like you've already started the process of introspection. 
Yeah. It, that's, it sounds to me as if you've already like had a lot. I mean, you're a, a, a really brilliant writer and performer. So there's a lot going on in there. What would it take for you to kind of enter a therapeutic environment or seek a therapist? Would it take an intake with an amazing, would it have to be a black woman? It would, but honestly, for me to take that step, somebody would have to die. Like, honestly, for me to just go, mm. yeah, let me go talk, Let me go pay to talk to somebody. Somebody would have mm-hmm. to die. Like, somebody mm-hmm. close to me would have to die. Mm-hmm. Just hmm. Like, I'm, you're yeah. asking me what the threshold is, and that's kind of the, my threshold. And it sounds like a really fucked up thing to say, but I'm still, you know, especially with everything that's going on right now, uh-huh. it's, you have to understand, not only as a black person, but as a black woman, mm-hmm. you are taught that black men's welfare comes before your own. Mm. And it's not a, and it's not a hundred percent. It's not somebody going, well, you know, these, it's always, it's so much harder to be a black man in America. And you were taught that from day one, they go through uh, so much and okay. all this other stuff. Yeah. So I used to have, I have, you know, a bit about it that I did on Comedy Central where it was just like, I really didn't know that black women were getting killed by the police until Sandra Bland happened. Yeah. Like truly. Like I figured we were being, like I never, I'll say it like this. I thought, I didn't not believe that the cops would kill me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I had never really seen an example yeah. of it. Mm. And so it didn't, because my mother always taught me, the cops will kill you too. Please don't think that they'll stop at right. the fact that you're not a man. Right, right, right. They will also kill you. Mm-hmm. But they'll probably, they're more likely to assault me mm-hmm. from what I've seen. Got it. So when now we're starting to see, and it's not that it doesn't, it didn't happen. Is that people didn't care to talk about it? Right, right, right. Sandra Bland was a big game changer because that 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 was all over the media, yeah. and it's still right. being investigated. It's so it's such a shady mystery. Yeah, but she was pulled over for a routine traffic stop, like her light was out, and she ended up dead in the jail. Like a couple of days later, it's absolutely awful. Like how does mm-hmm. that? How yeah. do we get from point A to point B? This is wild. Yeah. So, you know, the bit was me processing disinformation yeah because um and it took me like i was mulling over literally like a year because i had to do something because like i think it was like 2016 where it was like three black people got killed and i feel so bad that i can't remember everyone's name but it was like in june or july and it was like three black people gotten killed by the police in like a 48 hour period mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and my brain just went Nope. And then I was in San Francisco at the time. So we were like, I was in Oakland at the time. So I ended up in a Black Lives Matter march. But, mm-hmm. you know, it was actually in San Francisco. So there were a lot of black people there. Mm-hmm. And it was just like me hanging out with the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence mm-hmm. at this Black Lives Matter march. Yeah. Because, because of the part of the city that we were in. And so my brain's way of processing was I got back to LA and I just saw like a black couple there. Mm-hmm. At, we were at um, when Meltdown was still around. And I just looked at them and I was like, you know, and I just kind of worked, started talking it out. But it was like, the thing is like, when you're a black woman in a relationship with a black man, you're always in a struggle competition. Mm-hmm. Well, I was about to ask you that, Are, you know, you kept on saying that uh, you, it's you're culturally conditioned to put a black man first. Is, is this, mm-hmm. how does that manifest in your life right now? Well, it's kind of, it's interesting because now it's all of the black men in my life are, mm-hmm friends right so i'm not i'm not dating anybody um but all of the black men in my life are my friends and my brother right Mm -hmm. and so i'm going to i'm very much the one that shows up first if anything happens Mm -hmm. uh like i was at a show a couple weeks ago and this drunk and my friend pd's on stage and this he starts going back and forth you know he's just riffing with a guy in the crowd and dude gets mad and comes up and <gasps> grabs my friend while he's on, we're out there no. for the brewery. He's literally talking on like the loading dock mm-hmm. and this drunk white dude just grabs him by the arm. And mm-hmm. the first two people to get to this dude while he had, while he's grabbed my friend is me and another black woman. Mm-hmm. We were the first ones to get yeah, there. Yeah. Just like an instinct. And so, 
Right, just instinct. Like me and her, and there's uh, there's a bunch of men of various backgrounds. Yeah, but you you were the first two to put yourself in harm's way in order to protect. But we were the first two to go. And this is a this is a grown man. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So me and her got a hold of him first, and then the other people came, and then it got and so we were able to at least grab him and get him off, and then Mm -hmm. other like all these white dudes showed up, and everybody was grabbing. This fucker was drunk as hell and just had super strength. And Mm -hmm. so afterwards. You know, the booker of the show, she's like, oh, thanks for helping us. And I was like, hey, 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 she was the first one. Mm-hmm. You're giving out drink tickets and thanking all of these white dudes. Me and her were the first ones yeah. to get to this dude. <laughs> yeah. So I know what you saw. Right. Because she was short. You know, I'm only 5'4". This dude was, you know, close to six feet. She's shorter than me. Mm-hmm. But both of us had him first. Mm-hmm. And then all these dudes came in and it got to a point where you couldn't even see us because so many people were grabbing him. Yeah. So, and so it was like, I had to make sure like, no, me and her were the first ones on the scene, but that's just instinct. That's instinct. And there's so much from that that can um, just like come up and create obviously a lot of internal stress and a lot of shit to have to sort through and deal with. And I fully hear you when you say the reason why you would have any kind of reticence around like therapy and doing that, especially because of how associated it is with white culture and that kind of stuff. It also sounds like um, that there has been like some consideration for you about how you're able to deal with kind of like your own mental health, right? Like we all have mental health, but like how you're able to deal with some of the shit that comes up for you because therapy is just one note of mental health and really checking in. But there are other ways, like you said, even just kind of online and things like that. There's actually this really great mm-hmm. organization called the Loveland Foundation. I don't know if you guys heard of it. It's specifically like uh, for black women around mental health. Um, yes. but there's so much information and psychoeducation and stuff that's you know kind of like a flavor of therapy. So how, for something like that, how, how do you find your way, especially being conditioned to believe you shouldn't be checking in on that stuff mm-hmm. before you first, how did you crack that open enough where you can even start seeking out some kind of mental health thoughts or ideas? I mean, there's always been the, I mean, you have to also understand, like, I was also raised where like, whatever's wrong, you fix with prayer. Yeah. Talk to Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, therapist, talk to your mom. If you can't talk to your mom and your friend of Jesus, something is up. Okay. Something is up. You have Mm -hmm. to get to a point where it's just like, I have not found help in the places where I usually get help. Yeah. Also, it's because we do have a threshold. It's not, we don't believe in any services. Right. But it's either, because like, Michael Che has like a joke about it where he's like, basically, if you grow up black, there's, you're fine or... Oh, that nigga's crazy. Like, there's no, there's no in-between. There's no maintenance. It has yeah. to be, like, kind of an emergency situation. <laughs> Either yeah. you need to be locked up and get a right. check for the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, or you're fine. Okay, yeah. don't you're say, fine. I'm your friend. You have a really good job right now. You have SAG health insurance, which means your yes, co-pays only $25. <laughs> and when you said it's going to take somebody dying... That to me, that right. feels like, you know, um, I'm only going to go to the doctor if I have cancer. It's like you don't have to, you know, going to the doctor just for a checkup to see what's going on is ultimately great for your physical health. And um, our Surgeon General in um, California, we have a Surgeon General, is a black woman. And I met her. I did yes, a show with her. She's fabulous. And she's she's now... She's campaigning to have mental health as part of a health examination for kids Mm -hmm. because there's a high number of kids in low income areas. And my son was one of them when I adopted him who have PTSD and that that affects their, their immune system, that it affects their ability to learn, that affects their impulse control. It's part. and, And she goes, none of these kids are being screened for mental health. So she's doing her best to change the culture of mental health by by looking at it as like part of the holistic view of what a healthy person, what it means to be a healthy person. And it, it, yeah, mental health has usually been excluded from that equation. I think mental health has been excluded because it's not something you can, like if It's I, not a runny nose. It's not, you know, I yeah. Mean, you can't like see the thing it. is that I was talking, right. Cause when I was, I think I was talking to um, someone on your team in the pre-interview. Mm-hmm. Like I kind of was thinking about like going to therapy is like like one of my friends he has an like he is super super fucking in shape 
super in shape. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when I was talking to him, he's like, I'm going to the gym. And I'm like, dude, aren't you done? Aren't you done? <laughs> I'm looking at you. This cake ain't baking. You got abs. Listen, you got front abs. You got like back abs. Yeah. Like you have <laughs> all of the abs. shit. Are you done? The shit. You got calf abs. Like you have. I've never seen you eat a French fry. Like, yeah. aren't you? Aren't you finished yet? Yeah. And so I think sometimes when it comes, like if you go through a cancer treatment, you make it or you don't, it leaves right. or it doesn't. You get yeah. stitches, stitches come out. You do, yeah. like there's all, there's a, I think the thing that main thing that bothers me about going to therapy is that I can't fact check you as in, I'm not trained in this. Mm-hmm. Huh, huh. So at least I know I'm not a heart surgeon. But yeah. I know if I got a blocked artery and the artery gets unblocked, you can you fact check it with an X-ray. We're done. Right. You unblocked an artery, you're done. You treated my cancer, we're finished. So I know that there is an end point to something. Yeah. There's no end point with therapy. No, because not really. Because you're never, because you're never done. You're never done working on yourself. You're never done mm, going through the next breakthrough. Yeah. Bitch, do you know how many walls I put up for me to function on a daily fucking basis? And I'm looking to put the hole in this shit? Yeah. No, I yeah. gotta go to work tomorrow. So all the shit that I done built, all the defenses that I have built up uh-huh. to be able to function in America and not slap somebody yes. in their mouth on right? a regular fucking basis. Yeah. Right. All of the things that I've had to deal with as a woman where you constantly feel unsafe. All yeah. the stuff I deal with with being a black person, being a woman, being a plus size woman. Right. All of these things that you have to do to go, okay, this is how this is, this is how this is, this is how this is. Yeah. Because I can't control how someone else feels about me, but I can control how I feel about myself. Yeah. Wait, so, right? so let me ask you something. So if like if I were to tell you that there are versions of therapy where it's not about being in therapy forever and ever and ever, that you can actually set up very specific concrete goals that you work on. And there was, say, like a Southern plus size black woman who is a therapist. Is that something that you would be open to or still it would be like, no, that's not for me? No, I don't no. know her. Like right. I would love to, I know it could be like, sis, here's the campaign. Right. Da, 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 da. Right. Because we all know that all trauma is interconnected, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if I get over a body issue of being plus size, mm-hmm. I'm still black. Mm-hmm. So if a lot of my social a lot of my issues are associated, and I'm not trying to play I don't like devil's advocate, but I cause I think it's someone you know, you don't have a, a decent point to give, so you're not helping, right? So mm-hmm. devil's advocate. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that for a lot of people, when I look at stuff, I know that a lot of the things that have happened to me are all interconnected. Right. So I can't heal one part without healing everything. Mm-hmm. Right. But I'm never going to stop being black. I'm never going to stop getting these microaggressions. And I've had to learn from other black people because the hardest part of being in quarantine is that when Ahmaud Aubrey and Breonna Taylor and George mm-hmm. Floyd all mm-hmm. happen, usually when we have these traumatic events as black people, you're able to talk um, about it and take take it apart with other people in person. Mm-hmm. Not only just take, not only does that, it's sometimes it's not. It's just being around black people, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because you just get to a point where I'm just like, I can't handle the whites. I don't want to see yeah. them. I don't want to yeah. be around them. I don't yeah. want the energy near me. Yeah. Yeah. And so there is a healing or a patching that is done over this new hole. Yeah. yeah. That is I just hear about you. like, I hear you. For my son, for him to be an exclusively black place, for us to, for me to drop him off in Inglewood for the day to be on, we call it black activities where he's mm-hmm. just surrounded mm-hmm. exclusively by black people and has an exclusive black re- experience. It's met with such relief. Yeah. It's kind mm-hmm. of like, I don't have to be around people where I'm explaining my situation yeah. or what it is to be. I mean, just the commonality of that experience. Yeah. Um, so. <sighs> that is, want, ther- by want, the way, that is, I'm sorry. I just want to jump in and add that that is yeah, therapy too. That's though. therapy. It's not, kind of, it's not traditional therapy in the way that, you know, we no, think. I'm fully, I'm, I'm fully aware of it. I'm fully aware that that's therapy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm fully aware that that's therapy totally. because that's I know it's a therapeutic effect. Right, exactly. Because sometimes as, and especially with me being like a stand-up comic, mm-hmm. a lot of times when stuff happens, not only being around black people, but being around black comics, mm-hmm. because we can joke about it. Like there was a comic who passed away 
And a lot of, and you know, they were talking about a GoFundMe that was raised for him. And they started joking about how much money they would get for their GoFundMe's if they died. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the people that were around were like, oh my God, this is a nightmare. But yeah. the rest of us were cracking up. But that's right. no way <laughs> right. of, I mean, uh, to the regular to the regular civilians sitting there hearing it, they're like, there's something wrong with them. But for <laughs> us yeah. and for them, because I knew him, but I wasn't like tight with them. Yeah. So these are his close friends and they're all joking about this, but that was their way of processing. And coping, yeah. Right. And coping what had happened to their friend. Mm-hmm. So for me, it made perfect sense. Absolutely. Because this is how we, because that's just for the same way that I had to process, you know, what happened with Sandra Bland is a joke and what's happening to black women in our proximity to black men. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I say black women, I do Im- include black trans women because they're women. Mm-hmm. Um, when I processed that, it, that was my way of processing it. And basically, because the joke is like, when you're in a relationship with a black man, you are in a struggle competition. Mm-hmm. So basically you can come home and it's like, babe, I got to tell you this racist shit that this Karen said to me at work today. It's like, you don't know what it's like to be a black man in uh-huh. America. And I'm like, dude, we are not talking about that right now. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just like, you know what it's like to be a black man? I can get killed by the police. And you're like, well, that's the end of that conversation. You hungry because right. there's nothing. To- yes. You played the, you threw the, the guard. Like, like I can't, yeah. I can't come past this. Right. Yeah. And so, and I was like, and for me, that was the end of the conversation until Sam right. plan happened. Right. And then so me now I can go back and was like, yeah, man, uh, black women get killed by the police, too. Now, sit your ass down. Mm-hmm. We talk about Karen. This <laughs> right. is what we're doing. Right. Yeah. Right. Because you don't have this ammunition anymore because that's always been the ammunition. Yeah. Because it's we've always been. They have it harder than us. Mm-hmm. When in actuality, they have a they ha- they deal with physical violence mm-hmm. in a different way. Black women deal with physical violence and sexual violence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the microaggression of my my black girlfriends always deal with the microaggression of being invisible. Like when you said that story about they were handing out drink tickets to everybody. And meanwhile, you were like, we were the first two people who did this. We mm-hmm. were not yeah. there. It's that, right. that, that cultural invisibility of being a black woman. I mean, Richard Pryor used to do routine after routine about like what stress is like for white people and what stress is like for black people. And it's like black people are dealing with big stuff and white people are dealing with, hey man, like he would always go into this white voice of like (laughs) kind of not being able to cope with day to day reality of just being alive. So I think there's, there's, I mean, this was such an important program for us because these are the, these are the conversations that people yeah. are having right now. These we need to listen, yeah, to where you're at and and where you're coming from because that that part of the conversation has been missing forever. Yeah, can I just want to ask one final question? Maybe Dual say what is there anything that you think um, could uh, be helpful in kind of like shaping kind of like ideas around therapy? Um, in ways that maybe we're missing. When it comes to the invisibility, there was a great sketch on Black Lady Sketch Show with uh, Ashley Nicole Black. Uh, oh, I saw it. I know which one you're talking about. Go ahead. Right, about the invisibility thing. And I also called her and I was just like, uh, excuse me, um, I've also been confused for you and Nicole Byer. Why was I not this uh, um, yeah. And that was just the actor of me going, this bitch, yeah. I could have had a job. But when it comes to the invisibility, it's, it's invisibility at a certain point. Mm-hmm. because I can you're invisible in certain situations and very visible in other situations mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. invisible in certain situations and conspicuous in others and you're always having to negotiate right. So, that right so when it comes to you know me needing because black women aren't allowed to be seen as mm-hmm. victims we're not allowed to be seen as soft we're not allowed you know there's not a lot of like when you look at um, Azalea Banks mental health and people you know, chastising her and wanting to throw her away compared to Kanye's mental health where everyone's mm-hmm. now fucking concerned. Mm-hmm. When it's like, ah, we just seem to be second. two sides of the same coin. Yeah. Right. We seem to be same sides of the same coin. Um, so when it comes to invisibility, it's, you know, we're either, when it comes to our health and well-being, you can't see us. Yeah. When it comes to how much support we give, you can't see us. Mm. Yeah. But if I'm walking through a store with a bag from another store, now everybody knows where the fuck I am. Mm-hmm. Right, now everybody right, right. can see me. Where it's a situation where someone is upset or hurting, you expect me to come help. 
Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You, you only perceive it's, it's, it's a very monolithic lens. I only see you yes. as a helper. I only I'll see, see you as, as a supporter. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. So last question for me, hypothetically. Uh, but wait, 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 wait. What okay. was Matthew? Oh, wait. What, me, so when it comes to Matthew's question, yes. it has to be one. It's I'm still processing the idea of self-care Yeah. as okay. in, as in, you know, your girl keep her nails done. Fake, you know, getting body scrubs from the, you know, from the Koreans. Mm-hmm. That all makes <laughs> sense to me, mm-hmm. right? But so something as intangible as mental health, it doesn't add up yet. But when it's something as tangible in that, because mm-hmm. also it's, I've also grown up taking care of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, I started babysitting when I was nine, or mm-hmm. it's, you know, helping this friend, helping that friend out. It was always me. Taking care of other you, you, you are parentified now. at an early age is the clinical right. uh, term. Only because I'm the oldest one, mm-hmm. and we out here. Right. So somebody got to make sure that mm-hmm. all of us don't die. Also, yep, we were latchkey kids, so somebody yeah. got to make sure that we don't burn this fucking house down. Right. 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 So it has to come to the point where I have to be okay with taking care of yourself and putting yourself first. Well, not only that, it's taking taking the point of going, I am not okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because you're not allowed to be not okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're not allowed to be the weak person. Right. Yeah. You don't want right. to be seen as weak because right. if you're seen as weak, you're a target. Yeah. 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 There's, there's a lot of self-preservation involved. But, you know, Dulce, exactly. you have, as a performer, as a standout, you... I see you put yourself first as a writer, as a performer, and stand up for yourself. And and the uh, comedy is such a truth-telling art. I see you really mm-hmm. vulnerable on stage. So my last question would be, okay, like hypothetically, let's say you were a self-indulgent person who believed that uh, mental health was not a luxury and that was something you could do. What would be the type of things you would discuss? If you were like, let's just, you're playing that part. We're in a movie and you're playing somebody who could do that. See, it's interesting because for you to even ask me that immediately, it's just like, don't snitch on yourself. You oh. see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah. because so, like part of me was like, I want to ask this question, but that's also, I was like, <laughs> yeah. okay. Okay. All right. I know. That was a cute little answer. loophole, Alec. Oh, nice, nice try. Oh, yeah, gosh, it was, like, <laughs> was so close. We could have uh-huh. got Hannibal Lecter in here. He could have like <laughs> taken this apart. But, You'll also remember that I, many, many actors I have been trained that uh, method acting will is a problem, has always been a problem, will get you killed. Um, I can say if I did discuss it, it would have to be, there's a lot of fear I have associated with untangible things. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's, I always feel like, because like I do want a family, which one, being a comic and being a female comic is like, you want to get married and have kids? I'm like, mm-hmm. yes, the fuck? I look like a mother of three since I was 15. Right. fuck are you talking about? Right. So, yes. I've wanted to be a mother as long as I've wanted to be an actor. So, definitely. But I've always known what the steps were right. to become a successful performer. Right. No that's one tangible. Knows the, that's tangible. Mm-hmm. You don't know what the steps are to be in a successful relationship. Mm-hmm. My mother, my parents split when I was very young, and I found out 30-something years later why that happened. And I'm very thankful that we did leave that situation because I might not be sitting here. Right. You understand what I'm saying? Dulce, yeah. I feel like this is part of a larger conversation. And just having you here has been a, a, a great illumination. Yeah, we always end the program with thank you. First of all, thank you so much for, for coming on the show and being yeah. so open and having this conversation with us. Uh, we always end the program with a hot message for today uh, concerning the the subject at hand and the subject at hand is today black mental health. Do you have a hot message concerning that? Uh, check on your strong friends mm-hmm. because black women are usually, usually the strong friend mm-hmm. and people don't always check on the strong friend. And a lot of time your strong friend oh. is the one yeah. who's going through so much because they won't allow people to see them in a certain way. Yeah. Because they can't. So that's the, so right, especially with all this going on. Oh my God. If I was in New York, I would be at your friend. doorstep with Filipino food right now. I mm. would like have a Yo, whole Yo, Sizzik is my new <laughs> <laughs> Listen, That's how, that's is my how new I check shit. on my friends. 
Oh, every time I call my friend and ask him to eat, how do you say it? Is it Sizig? I don't know how to say it. Sizig. 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 Uh-huh. There's a club here that sells it, and I'm like, yo, man, if I keep getting this, I'm going to lose my <laughs> neck, dog. If I keep messing with this, I'm going to be a linebacker in two months. I'm just head and shoulders, <laughs> knees and toes, baby. It's going to be a real problem <laughs> if I keep messing with this. Sizig. Dulce, where can we find you on the social media? Everything at Dulce Sloan, D-U-L-C-E-S-L-O-A-N, not Dolce because my mother went to college. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> also that uh, Black Ass Show is a podcast I have a Starburns where I talk to yes. black creatives about black TV shows and movies. And um, I be on a daily show when I'm on. Yes. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Dulce Lazaria Sloan, everybody. I yeah, remember Dulce. my name. Hello. I me. love you. I'll see you soon, <laughs> okay? You. As soon as Thank I get you, to New York. Bye, honey. Thank you. Bye. Wow, that was amazing. Yeah, that was really I great. learned so much. Yeah. I was just like, I think that there's so much unspoken experiences that people are going through, you know, that we have no idea. I mean, that's what I said at the top of the show. We have no idea what it's like to go yeah. through what black people go through every no, day. No, truly. And honestly, I think uh, like one of the most fascinating things um, that Dulce was talking about, like I never really thought about that as like in a couple, a black couple Mm -hmm. about how much that um, that how that stuff how there can be that kind of like competing thing and how their lives are prioritized. Yeah, Yeah. black women aren't able to actually speak up like having to feel stronger, not really being able to check in on yourself and how much Mm. that can be a problem. Well, what's your hot message for today <laughs> about black mental my, health? Yeah, I think my, I think my, yeah, yes, let me have a hot message. As a yeah, white person, let yeah, me tell you about yeah. black mental health, right? Okay, let yeah. me do my best. Right. I will, I, I think the thing that's, I think, uh, something that I learned today uh, that I'll take away, that this is my hot message, is that therapy really does come in many forms. It doesn't necessarily have to be like one note of therapy. Um, but being in community, being able to process collectively with other people in your community, physically being with each other, there's so many different ways. It makes a huge that, difference. It makes a huge difference. And maybe just one other thing too is also um, vulnerability, opening up around emotional stuff really can feel like weakness. Yes. When we're able to try to reframe that as strength, because a lot of people don't want to do it because mm-hmm. you're exposing something so kind of tender or you know difficult, but it takes so much strength to actually do that. So it is- It's the, the most courageous thing you can courageous. do. Thank you, yes. It is, it, it takes incredible courage and strength to confront yeah. your hot Your hot mess. mess. Did you see how I brought it all that around? That was beautifully woven. Oh, thank you, Matthew. <laughs> I know you wouldn't just say that. Where can we find you on the socials? You can find me at MJ Dempsey Psych on Instagram and Twitter and mm-hmm. Matthew J. Dempsey Psychotherapy on Facebook. Yeah, you got to see him on the Twitter. You have a good narrative. You got a good story going on the Twitter. <laughs> thank uh, you. Oh, and, and, and your Instagram. You can find me at Alec Mappa on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And you can find us both yes. at The Hot Mess Pod. That's right. On Twitter. Twitter and on Instagram. We here yep. at the Hot Mess Pod know you have many choices when it comes to being entertained. We're so grateful that you chose to spend your hot mess hour with us. Yes, Tune thank you. in next week and we'll have more fun. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Bye, guys.